why am I not impressed by that? Because you're missing the part where he took those servers and then put them in Antarctica to keep them cool. <laughs> huh? Huh? So we have That's right. to blame for the melting of the polar ice caps. <laughs> no, we have the polar ice caps to thank for keeping our damn Facebook Candy Crush cool and oh and gosh. keeping it going for us. So thank you, polar bears and polar ice caps. Please. <laughs> January 29th, 2014. This is episode 84 of Yats. Every week right here, Wednesday night, yet another texture.com. Check it out. I'm Matt Lee. Joining me this evening, we got Ant Pruitt. What's going on, Ant? Hey, what's going on, Mr. Lee? We got Larry Press. How you doing, Larry? Hi, guys. Good to see you. Mike Rothman in the house. What's up, Mike? Glad to be back with you guys. And that's the crew. If you go to the site, click on the crew link, bam, that's it. Us four right there. So, uh. Definitely check it out, subscribe on iTunes, hang out with us on the Google Plus community uh, throughout the week. So, uh, let's start things out. Big, giant story of the week. Google, Motorola, no more. Google selling Motorola, or parts of it. And I, we'll get into like what stayed patent-wise, what went uh, technology-wise, and all that. Uh, but to Lenovo, which we've, we've seen... What's that? Is that a done deal, or just... A- uh, it, well, it was it was an, right, but it was announced uh, pu- officially <clears throat> just for, earlier today. Yeah, for way less than they paid for it, wasn't it? Something like three billion instead of ten billion. Yeah, I thought twelve billion to purchase, three billion to sell. Yeah, yeah, that hurts just a little bit. Yeah, you know, anytime you drop nine billion dollars over the course of about two years, you're go- you're going to be hurting. And uh, I think that one read on this is that Google shareholders, the major shareholders, were getting impatient with Larry Page and his his desire to control a manufacturer of phones. It's not an easy business to be in. And, you know, the, the, uh, the, the last Moto phones, the Moto X and so on, just have not sold all that well. So they're probably losing money. Actually, they probably lost a lot of lost money. Lost a crap ton, I'm sure. Yeah, in in terms of operating costs. And uh, it really, you go back two years ago when this purchase was announced by Google, you didn't have the huge um, base of Android um, installations around the world. Uh, today... Android is a made operating system. It's the number one operating system, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Google doesn't really need Motorola, and it's got to be complicating their relationships with Samsung, HTC, and the other manufacturers. <clears throat> so I can see why they dumped it. What I can't really so much see is why they bought it in the first place. For the patents, well, right? Everybody said it was to get patents. Right. The The article on The Verge says, uh, you know, $12.5 billion is what they paid for Motorola Mobility back in 2012. Uh, and they said that they were mainly interested in the company's patent portfolio. Uh, and now they're offloading the handset business, which has been losing hundreds of millions each quarter since the purchase. Uh, they will hold on to Motorola's ambitious advanced technology and projects group, which is Project Aura was part of that, I believe, the modular phone tech that we uh, we talked a little bit about it on uh, Attack mm-hmm. of the Androids. Uh, and they also, like uh, earlier, they sold off the set-top box unit for over $2 billion. So they, they got a little of that money recouped. Yeah, they did. I think they also lost some face. I mean, <clears throat> Google has been an incredibly co- successful company, but they've, they've primarily ridden the the back of their success in search. 
Android Android has obviously been successful, but how do they monetize that success? Motorola was one answer to that question, but that's not now. Uh, that has not panned out. Are the, are the patents still? I mean, did, are, do they retain the patents? Man says they retain this advanced projects group, which sounds kind of like good people. But how about the patents? And the patents. They're keeping the patents. As far as I understand, yes. At the time of the sale, people were saying they bought it just for the patents. Well, and they're so, saying that, that Lenovo. Yeah, this sounds like not such a bad deal. There's... They got five billion plus the patents plus the advanced tech group. And they're saying this is Lenovo's wanting it to make their step into the smartphone market, right? So that Lenovo will use the Motorola handset to make their own handsets now, and and they have a name established, right? So now it'll just be Lenovo, Motorola, and now they're in the market, which is a huge market, and it's growing. Not only that, Lenovo's from China, and China is a huge ready-to-grow market. So maybe they'll really be big in China. And uh, Lenovo is now the number one PC maker. They want to diversify. They know the, B- the PC business is not the growth end of the tech market. And uh, this is a great entry for Lenovo into the mobility business. You guys think it was uh, poor timing? Um, I guess you do, Mike, considering... You talked about how Android wasn't as, as, as big as it was two years ago as far as the installations go. But I thought it would have been a decent idea to get Motorola because Motorola generally had nice hardware, you know, yeah. from a phone standpoint. And even with the set-top boxes that they had, uh, they, they wasn't bad at all. Um, I think the X phone, which Matt has, is a really nice phone, but maybe it is timing considering how many Galaxy S4s out there and not to mention the free Galaxy S3s that are out there, all under the Samsung umbrella. You know, my take on my, my take two years ago on the purchase was that they were after the patents. Yeah. But that was sort of belied by the fact that, that Google spent a lot of time and money and promotional energy around uh, Motorola and clearly was trying to make an operational go of it. They, w- they were trying to make their mark in the, uh, the mobile business. All right. It, it is, it's recently as six months ago. Huge marketing push for the Moto X. You know, a lot of talk how Google was going to change the the model of marketing phones direct to consumers. <clears throat> I still hope somebody succeeds in doing that. Well, and why, why, why didn't the Moto X sell better? Every everything I hear, it's a really cool phone. Matt's got one. It's why, awesome. Why <laughs> if you're on Verizon, it's pretty awesome. I mean. Considering what your choices are for vanilla Android phones, like it's definitely the one. If you want to save some money, go Moto G. I mean, you have a couple choices there. Yeah, I still think it's the whole Samsung effect out there. Well, and I think it's interesting here in the article on The Verge, it says the patents, you know, that's what initially drew them to it, but they haven't been as helpful as Google had initially hoped, and they seem to have highly overvalued the patent portfolio, which hasn't been able to bring in nearly as much in royalties as either company had expected. So maybe maybe Uh, this is their way of getting some of that back, you know? Don't patents, as well as bringing in royalties, kind of scare off lawsuits? Well, I think right. it did do that, but we'll never know, right? Like, how many yeah. lawsuits could have happened had uh, Google never acquired Motorola in the first place? Like, we'll never know. We could speculate that I think there there might have been more, maybe 10 15% more. Who knows? But it makes me wonder now, what is their exposure with selling off those patents? But that's the right. thing. Didn't they keep – I'm pretty sure they kept the patents. They just sold off the handset business. Yeah, they'll sue the hell out of them. Here's, here's something interesting from uh, the New York Times uh, deal book. Uh, Mr. Page said uh, Google remained committed to hardware, a business that is that it has uh, been entering over the past couple of years, most notably with Motorola, but also with products like Google Glass and companies like Nest Labs. 
maker of smart thermostats and smoke alarms. Google acquired this month for $3.2 billion. Right, maybe and this is Larry Page's way of like tightening down and focusing on that sort of stuff now. Android yeah. is, you know. Page, Page goes on to say, this does not signal a larger shift of, of our other hardware efforts. Uh, the dynamics and maturity of the wearable and home markets, for example, are very different from that of the mobile industry. So he's saying Google is doubling down on wearables and home. He doesn't mention tablets. No, he doesn't. But, you know, Google doesn't exactly make tablets. They Samsung. Brand tablets. They're made by exactly. others. Exactly. It's usually Samsung or like Asus. Acer, or... Asus, Sony, yeah. Lenovo, yeah. <laughs> HP. I mean, the yeah. list goes on. Personally, I was a little disappointed, um, again, because I, I like Motorola hardware. I do, too. And I'm assuming this is only going to be an advantage for Lenovo down the road, and maybe we'll still be able to see that Moto brand and um, hardware consistency that we're used to. I don't know. Well, Lenovo but has nice hardware, hand, right? Lenovo's the one that wanted to do the X1. We saw a couple, what, two or three CESs ago, that cool laptop with the display yeah. that popped out, remember? I don't yeah, know whatever happened to it, but it was cool. Yeah, but I, I just don't think of them as far as cell phones. It's only the laptops and the right. enterprise stuff that comes to my mind. And But that's the yeah. thing, right? Now Lenovo has a lot of work to do in marketing and figuring out how they're going to make that huge step into this giant you know, smartphone uh, tablet market. You know, plus coupled the fact of, of Google being in a picture with Motorola, it was going to be as close to vanilla or Nexus, just like you said a few minutes ago. You know, it, it was to me, it was like two of the best worlds merging. Right, but they also took great pains to keep them a, as separated as they could, right? Yeah, they did. So maybe it is in the best interest of the ecosystem and the community to not have Motorola uh, handset whatever you want to call it, under Google's control specifically. It'll be interesting to see. It's interesting that they did it a day before the earnings, the quarterly earnings, right? Of course. Of course. Got to make waves, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the, the other piece of this is this is not the end of Motorola. No, Motorola. absolutely not. L Lenovo really makes beautiful, gorgeous laptops. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, they've, they've proven they can do that. They've proven they can lead the market in quality products. But the, and the way they got into laptops was by buying IBM's laptop. Yep. And now they're buying Motorola. It's, I mean, it, it's sort of, they've done it once. Maybe they can do it again. The old trusty ThinkPad. Yep, yeah, right? <laughs> I'd I mean, like to see him do it again. I'm just yeah, really sorry too. to see it go to China. And that was what a lot of the comments I was reading on a few of the articles uh, was that, like, oh, great, now all of the smartphone market is in China, basically, or the manufacturers or whatever. Oh, man, come on. Who cares? We got the Samsungs and, and Nokias, and you're not complaining about those phones, people. So No, because me. there was always this <laughs> other option, but now, <laughs> now people yeah. have something else to complain about. All right. Uh, anything else on this? We'll move on. Move on. All right, Mike. Tell us about this uh, Intel Voice Rec technology. They say it's going to blow Siri out of the water because it's uh, it's local, right? It's not having to reach out to the cloud. Yeah, it's very cool. This was covered today in uh, Quartz, which is a or QZ dot com, uh, and it's uh, their exclusive story an interview with Intel who is developing a voice recognition on a chip that then gets implanted in your device. And the, this is not confirmed, but they're apparently um, licensing, <clears throat> Intel is licensing speech recognition from Nuance, which is the maker of Dragon Natural Speak, yeah. which is a really quality product. So the idea is you have this little processor running uh, um, uh, uh, Nuance uh, software 
that you're doing your voice recognition intern uh, locally on your device instead of uh, condensing your voice file, sending it to through the cloud somewhere to be processed with results sent back to you. There's obviously a lot of lag time in that latter method, which is what Siri uses. It's what Google uses for the most part. If Intel can deliver this on a chip, it's going to add some cost to the cost of your mobile device, but it's going to be pretty cool. Will it, though? I mean, we kind of see the the early start of this in the Moto X with the X8 processor. It's not doing the processing, but it's it's doing the listening part, and then it sends it to you know the voice rec app, which then sends it to Google Now. And we saw at I.O., I mean, they, they talked about having... If you're not connected, you will still be able to do on-device uh, processing of that. But uh, from the article, it says that uh, they've had it, had the technology since Android 4.1, but it's still in the experimental phase oh, no. and isn't available to non-Google developers of apps, which is why I guess sometimes it works. If you kick your phone into airplane mode, you can test this out. Uh, you know, Sometimes it seems to work, but maybe not. Well, I'll I get think... the... Sorry, go ahead, Mike. I, I just couldn't say. I think the, the key question here is what kind of connectivity do you have? If you've got great connectivity, you probably it probably doesn't matter that much that you're doing the processing in the cloud. But if your connectivity is slow or intermittent or not reliable, then it starts to be a real advantage. I can see it being beneficial, just like you said, because of connectivity issues in certain areas, especially if you're just trying to map your way out of somewhere and pull up the nav, hey, show me where so-and-so is and how I can get out of here kind of thing. But I wonder about, um, oh, like you said, the cost, can... and what about the battery? What's going to happen with the battery? Do we have the technology that's not going to chew up our batteries even more? Intel is not talking about that yet. And as we all know, Intel makes energy hungry. <laughs> you know, that's not yeah. their long suit. So I just... Yeah. Go ahead, man. Uh, I, I was going to say, I just tested it on the Moto X. I turned airplane mode on. And if you're trying to use Google now and you hit the mic button there, it'll it'll get what you're saying, but then it'll say it can't reach Google. But if you're in the keyboard and you're using it to, like, voice to text, it'll do that on the device without having to send it on the cloud. If it has connectivity, it's much faster, though. It's, like, noticeably faster. Uh-huh. But you know, so yeah. Another factor that's uh, that's worth mentioning is that uh, Microsoft and Microsoft Labs have huge amounts of expertise in speech recognition and uh, urban speech processing in general. And Microsoft too will have a, uh, a quote Siri. And they they also will be in this game, uh, and it'll be really interesting to see. Uh, both what the architecture is, whether some of it's how much is done on the handset and what's done on the cloud, and also to just to see the performance, uh, the, the accuracy as opposed to the speed. Yeah, I don't have a problem with the speed. It, it's the accuracy, you know. Yeah. And granted, I am pretty much satisfied with the accuracy considering my southern drawl and it tends to figure out what the heck I'm saying when I speak to it so it can't be that bad. But do you also have the personalized recognition turned on? Turning to your voice. So it's I always... don't recall if I've gone in and changed that. I don't okay. think I have. Because it, it, it tends to work better with, with that. There's no even reason. With, but Matt, even if I'm sitting here at the desk and I'm in Chrome and I just want to goof off with the whole searching Google Chrome with your microphone. It's those are the, it's the same servers. Yeah, it's all pulling from the same voice learning yeah. information. Um, I say, show me the jam hole, and it pulls up jamhole.com. Quick. Right. So Mike Bell, the uh, that's Intel's head of wearables. Uh, he was saying something that like. Uh, the cloud-based competitors, they don't do what they're doing, and he calls this graceful degradation, which means that it'll work even when the phone is not online. Like, it'll if you're like going through signal, it sounds like it's going to use how much it needs for how much it has, you know? It's going to gracefully degrade uh, depending on its connection. You know, you guys... Um... 
I've got a, a short video clip out of a speech that the head of the then head of Microsoft Research did in China. It's pretty impressive. He, uh, I mean, it's not ready for prime time, but he speaks in English, and then the thing is translated into into Chinese. I remember that's that. That's pretty Have you guys seen that? Yeah, I, I remember you shared it with us. Maybe I shared it with you. I I show that to my classes all the time. But uh, don't don't forget about Microsoft in the speech record in the speech processing uh, world in general. They'll be uh, they'll be there. So it says they're working on selling the this voice rec technology to unnamed mobile phone manufacturers, uh, which could allow them to differentiate themselves from Apple and Google's usual offerings, or uh, it could go into the phones you, uh, by those companies. So we'll see what happens. Pantech. What's that? It's probably going to be sold to Pantech or Wowie. <laughs> Wowie. <laughs> I don't know. It'll be interesting to see if like Google snatches it up or something, but I, I think they have their own that they're working on. So who knows? Also really into that. And they you have Kurzweil, right? And isn't Kurzweil the one who started Nuance back in the first place? So it's kind of like, okay. No, I don't know no, that that's, that's not what he's working on there, but you know, if they had a question, they'd be like, hey, Ray, how do you... <laughs> he didn't start Nuance. Didn't he? I thought Nuance was I his company. He was part of Dragon. He did, he did uh, uh, yeah, Dragon. You're thinking he, he did a Xerox but machine. Isn't that the tech though that went into the dragon? Naturally speaking, I thought Nuance was Nuance his thing. Another guy from MIT, and he ended up totally losing all his equity in a lawsuit. And yeah, oh, I man. think that went up for you. It was somebody from MIT, but uh, it wasn't Kurzweil. Wasn't it written up a okay. year or two ago in the New York Times. Yeah, yeah, because he lost a he lost a lawsuit. He ended up with nothing. Wow. You know, the, the other thing I've got to say is is that Nuance, Dragon Natural Speak, is a sort of big, bloated, lumbering program right. with about a thousand and one options. And it's it's in that sense, it's not all that easy to use, especially when your alternative is Google, which, as Ant says, you know, you just sort of fire it up and it's there listening to you and you just... Uh, it just translates you as you go. Yeah. Okay, so Kurzweil sold the company to Learnout and Hosby, and then they went bankrupt, and it became a subsidiary of Xerox, formerly known as Scansoft, and now as Nuance Communications. Thank you, Wiki. Well, I remember when L and H bought a bit. Kurzweil was the owner at that yep. time. Yep. He's the one that sold it. That's what Wiki says. That's how I remembered it. All right. Okay, whatever. We'll have to, we can... Uh, Interesting. We'll Did you guys see the Angry Birds website got completely defaced? Uh, because you guys read the article a while back that said that they were one of the, the many, many apps that had been working with the, the government to yes, spy on you, right? Yeah. So... <laughs> Oh, so some people went after it and, uh, yeah, completely defaced it, turned it from Angry Birds into Spying Birds with, like, little oh, little NSA and FBI logos on It's so good. I wish <laughs> I'd seen that. If you can't trust Angry Birds, who can you trust? I mean, come on. <laughs> they did Star Wars for, I mean, come on. But yeah, that is a good... People... They were tracking Angry Birds, but did Angry Birds give them that data, or did they uh, gather it upstream? Or I Is thought that, that they allowed know. allowed certain backdoors to be placed in it through, and then you know, like Angry Birds will ask you for all these permissions, and some of those permissions were apparently uh, because of the NSA. <laughs> We're oh, going to wow. need your contacts. We're going to need your contact list. We're going to need access to your text messages and your Facebook. <laughs> okay, <laughs> this game is so good. You can have it all. Yeah, everybody clicks okay. Yeah. Install. Well, <laughs> have you ever read one of those? I've read a few. Boring. I've read a few because I have no life, as you all know. <laughs> That's true. That's what it says on your lower six. <laughs> My lower six. And, I mean, Rovio said that they're like, we do not provide end-user data to government surveillance agencies. 
But those same agencies are certainly probing those apps and others, tons of others uh, apps for this data. So it's, I mean, how how will anyone ever know how easy those companies make it for them to, I mean, nobody's ever going to know that except for Rovio, you know? Do you Corn say deface and say ask questions private. later? Are you guys like like a, a deface then ask questions later, or do you do you think you should like really get to the bottom of it and then deface to bring attention to it? What, what do you think? Uh, it depends on the mob, man. Um, I think you should go with B though, and, and dig, 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 and then okay because otherwise you end up with the reddit issue where they're <laughs> harassing people that were maybe the wrong people right uh-huh. like we saw in, in in the past what do you think larry i don't care all right mike <laughs> <laughs> i don't know you know i may be one of the i may be one of the last people in the world who's never even opened an angry birds game I will tell you what I used to, I used to on my very first joy, I played it and I was getting three stars on all of the levels, but then the, when, whenever I switch phones and I lost all of that, I just completely stopped playing the game. And that was before star Wars and all those other ones came out. I think space was the last one I might've played, but not, I hear not that candy crush is the latest, uh, Irresistible game. I haven't played it either. I'm still not playing that one ever. Nope, not touching it. I get invites on the daily for that. I'm not playing. Stop asking me. Yes. Go away, you time-sucking invites. Right? So, uh, Mike, Facebook turned 10 today. You had an article there, uh, the Bits blog on the New York Times. Talking about how Mark Zuckernerd wants to change the way the tech industry works. You know, it, it's sort of interesting because he this he was speaking in San Jose to a, a open uh, what is it the Open Computer Summit, which is apparently as you read down it's apparently um, a group that he helped start, and it's sort of the, the open source idea applied to computer hardware. Uh, and he he talks about how he's used this to um, leapfrog uh, Facebook's technology platform to be something that can can compete with uh, the Apple and Google and Microsoft huge data farms. Did anyone farm. bring up Facebook Home? <laughs> And then drop the mic. Technology based based on open standards that he stole. Is that what you're saying? That, that's, Whoa. that's what I'm saying. Here. <laughs> and and it's, it's actually a pretty interesting interview because he's talking to a group of, of tech guys, you know. But yeah. I, I also have to step back and sort of shake my head. Now, I'll grant you, it's sort of technologically marvelous that something is big and complex. <laughs> as Facebook with so many users as Facebook can continue to operate. So much data, right? Those databases have to be so ridiculously huge and spread out over so many computers. Yeah, yeah. but the thing that was disappointing to me was the, 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 the teaser title to the article was Zuckerberg wants to change how tech industry works. I thought, all right, this is going to be really cool. And it turns out his secret sauce is, you know, some homebrew hardware recipe for making your own servers. Gee, you know, it seems to me Google was doing that about a decade ago. <laughs> Why am I not impressed by that? Because you're missing the part where he took those servers and then put them in Antarctica to keep them cool. Oh. Huh? Huh? So we have That's right. to blame for the melting of the polar ice caps. <laughs> No, we have the polar ice caps to thank for keeping our damn Facebook Candy Crush cool and oh and gosh. keeping it going for us. So thank you, polar bears and polar ice caps. Anyway, it's another one you can look for on the New York Times uh, Bits blog, and it, it the blog entry includes a lengthy uh, interview by Zuckerberg. Well, now, don't, don't, don't write this off. In here it says that uh, they're... 
Their company has saved $1.2 billion in energy and management costs by using open source products in the last three years. Yeah, I mean, they, that's kind of cool, right? An initiative of being more green with their tech. Yeah, that's yeah, that's kind of yeah, cool. But it sounds impressive. I'm I'm all for that. Yeah. Yeah, but when Mike says Google could make the, I mean, come on, they're into solar energy and putting things next to big rivers and dams and, and making their own hardware. Doesn't Google do all that too? Well, yeah, oh, yeah. I, I'm sure. But was Google there talking about it? Hmm? Yeah. <laughs> That's, That's the right. PR department, the Facebook PR department. Uh, the, this is Facebook's vice president for infrastructure. He also says it's not just about saving money. We're saving a ton of money. He said the server system that contains Facebook's core social graph or all of the content that people interact with regularly performs 4 billion operations a second at 24% less cost and 38% more efficient energy utilization than a conventional system. Boom, and then he dropped the mic. <laughs> and does Google have a conventional system? I don't think no, so. I, I know, I'm just, I'm just reading their oh, press okay. release, man. Yes. <laughs> don't Start shoot the messenger, I'm just reading their press release. No, I'm not. He also has Very done his bit... Too. To destabilize an industry worth more than one hundred billion dollars. So what's up now, Silicon Valley? Go for it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I, I think I think Mark Zuckerberg is looking for legitimacy in the high tech world. validation, I don't think he right? Gets much respect. Ego validation. Ego validation. He's not even getting any respect from us. Well, I mean, yeah. Ant doesn't use Facebook and. I mean, how reasons. I would like to see what the percentage is out of the people that were in that audience that are on Facebook compared to those that are on Google Plus, because it kind of sounds like maybe more of a Google Plus audience. I don't know. Yeah, right. I bet it was totally 100 percent the other way. You think? Yeah. They're like, we're on Tumblr. <laughs> <laughs> you can follow me on Tumblr. That's fine. Uh, all right, did you guys see this? I thought this was kind of awesome, kind of like score one for the internet. Uh, you know how the We the People in the White House uh, petition thing where if a petition gets 100,000 uh, signatures, digital signatures, then they will have to answer it. So <laughs> the internet, of course, puts one up uh, that says, We the People, uh, we urge President Barack Obama to revoke 19-year-old pop star Justin Bieber's green card and deport him back to his home country of Canada. It has Dude. finally reached the 100,000 signature threshold needed to prompt a response from policy officials in the administration. So, internet, I, I, bravo. I, I, have to, I have to applaud because, guys, <laughs> last week we had... Um, Justin Bieber, mm-hmm. and we had Richard Sherman. Those guys owned the internet last week because of whatever they did, said, what have you. And you know how many people follow this Justin Bieber cat. Millions! And, and just just want to say any and everything for him in his defense. Mm-hmm. But yet, there were still some people out there that says, you know what? Get this jackass out of here. Right? Yeah. Right? Um, I mean, we that, had... That we my day, cuz. I forget what show we talked about on, but there was a story that came out that, like, CNN was interviewing some congresswoman about the NSA surveillance thing, and they cut to, like, breaking news of Bieber getting his DUI <laughs> thing or something. And it was like, See, what? That's, you that's need major to major fail right You need there, to check yourself. People step, we, there's still hope. Y'all, there's still hope. There's 100,000 strong hope. 118,000 <laughs> yeah. at last count. More than 118,000 uh, that have signed this. So I thought I that's pretty. As, I don't feel as sorry for my hard hits now. Uh, <laughs> actually, that 100,000 is good news. The bad news is that how many million followers does he have on Twitter? Doesn't matter yeah. because the, the government has to. It, it doesn't matter because the government has to answer now. So oh, yeah. What yeah, are the. But... Some, somehow, I think the government's answer is going to be, sorry. Funny. Yeah. Funny. I bet they'll treat it as kind of a joke opportunity. Oh, you know they will. You know they absolutely will. They'll say something like, you have to really consider the amount of money 
this 19-year-old produces for the U.S. Taxable money. Do you want to give that to Canada? You don't want to give that to... Obama's daughter to answer. (laughs) (laughs) Here, read this statement. I don't want to. Oh, awesome. All right. uh, I saw this on Medium earlier this morning. I thought it was kind of interesting. It's a post in cybersecurity by Naoki Hiroshima about how I lost my $50,000 Twitter username. A story of how PayPal and GoDaddy allowed the attack and caused me to lose my $50,000 Twitter name. So a little backstory. Uh, This this guy, he got... One of the uh, back in like '97, I think he said he signed up for it, or no, '07. Excuse me, <laughs> my years, my decades are off. Uh, in '07, he signed up and he got the at n, so one letter, right? And apparently, I didn't realize this until Matt Honan got hacked for his three letter at m a t, which I kind of want now. I should I should go after that. Anyway, uh, the the shorter the the names are, the more. I guess they're worth. And apparently at some point in time, he says somebody offered me as much as $50,000 for it. Personally, I would have took the money, but Hey, that's whatever. Uh, so the story goes on and basically it's, it's the exact same way that Matt Honan got hacked. Social engineering on the phone, got your last four to your credit card, social engineering on GoDaddy. Now I just reset your thing and now I have your account that your mail is hosted through because you used a domain through GoDaddy. And now I'm redirecting yeah. your mail to me. Now I got your Twitter account. It was That's beautiful all. how it was done. I, mean, I, I shouldn't say beautiful. No, it was. You it know, was beautiful. It's, 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 it's social engineering down to the T. And, and you saw in that piece how he emailed the well, – Maybe it's a she. The the offenders emailed the person that was affected and hacked it this time and said, "Hey, look, this is this is your problem right here. You know, let me let me let me draw it out for you." Well, and he told him, he's like, "If you give me your Twitter account, I'll tell you how to secure your stuff for you." And yeah. he went through and like talked to this guy and was like, he got all his stuff back yeah. except the Twitter account, which. Okay, should have took the fifty grand, but now it now you had to give it away for free, but that's fine. That's totally fine. Yeah. I I, I, I feel for this guy, but his or her. But their first mistake was uh GoDaddy as your registrar. Exactly. Your right? second mistake exactly. was not learning from Matt Honan's mistake and having two factor authentication enabled. I mean he did on a couple that things, too. but not on everything. Yeah. Lesson learned, people. Lesson learned. Yep, but he has the whole story here on Medium. We'll put a link to it in the show notes at yetanothertechshow.com. Uh, yeah, I think but I saw it on Reddit or something. I, I want to say, like, the the crappy part about it was how GoDaddy reacted and what GoDaddy's policies were. I think he says here somewhere about how, like, they let some impersonator change my account info without verification, yet they wouldn't let me change anything without verification. <laughs> like, it was completely backwards to how it should have gone. And they totally were like, sorry, case closed, not our problem. Have you seen Dude, our ads? They, they told him to guess. They told him to give the two... give The two last two, of right? The, of the credit card. Oh, dude, guessed. Is it O two? <laughs> How about 08? Is it 05? He guessed, and they kept letting him guess. And yeah. Said, okay, you're in. But they I wouldn't do that day. for Naoki, for Mr. Hiroshima. They would not do that for him. Oh, man. Amazing, right? He should have called back and got a different tech. I also like how the uh, the hacker, his email address was swiped at live.com. <laughs> <laughs> Classic leet ponage, if ever there was, right? Yes. So it was, well, it was well done. I mean, it sucks for the other guy, but it was it was well done. And again, it sends a message to the people at at GoDaddy and PayPal as well. <laughs> Mike in the chat, going back to the Bieber poll deportation thing, he says there was also a petition not to deport him, but it only got like 800 signatures and sounds like a 12-year-old wrote it. <laughs> nice. I did, that's awesome. I didn't see that one. 
Uh, so yeah, you guys can read through this. We'll put we'll put a link to it in the show notes there. Um, pretty pretty interesting story. Horrific. He says, "I like the conclusion. Stupid companies may give out your personal information, like you know, part of your credit card number, to the wrong person. Some of those companies are still employing the unacceptable practice of verifying you with the last same digits of your credit card to avoid their." imprudence from destroying your digital life don't let companies such as paypal and godaddy store your credit card information duh i just removed mine i'll also be leaving godaddy and paypal as soon as possible so with godaddy that means like within the next three years if you're lucky you're gonna have to cancel that credit card and start a new one (laughs) so there you have it uh did you guys see uh Larry Ellison from Oracle. There's an article in Reuters about how he's kind of downplaying the uh, the threat of the NSA database snooping. Uh, he says, to the best of our knowledge, an Oracle database hasn't been broken into for a couple of decades by anybody. Sounds like a sounds like a challenge. Here it comes. <laughs> it says like, is that kind of how your Oracle Java? I mean, is that really how you want to play this? Words, bro. It's so secure. There are people that complain. He added, "Really? I don't. Is anybody complaining about how secure it is? Maybe, oh maybe he made like one database that has like two entries in it, and it's on some like USB jump drive locked in a safe somewhere. That might be the safest database. But as far as like the rest of your game, uh, not so much. Not so much. Not so much at all. Uh, so they say uh, Snowden's revelations about U.S. government surveillance have increased companies' concerns about privacy and may cost U.S. technology vendors billions of dollars in lost sales. Uh, the roots of Ellison's software company go back to 1977 when the CIA contracted him and two co-workers to design a database codenamed Oracle. The same year, now, man. The same year Ooh. Ellison and his colleagues founded the database company that would eventually be renamed Oracle. So... I'm telling you, any any time these medium sized or larger businesses go and you know start up and get everything online and whatnot, first thing you do, other than get a lawyer, you need to go get you a security expert. Have Second. somebody ethically hack your your system. You know, and there's then the- plenty of people out there. There's plenty of people on anonymous that would that just might do it for free. You know. How many exploits do they find in each and every Java update? I mean, each and every Java update. For reals. At <laughs> least 10. I'm going to guess at least. At least. At the very least. I mean. I, I love those because, you know, every now and then we have to have Java on some of our workstations. Yeah. And updating Java it is a serious project. Can I tell you? I, I got. I have a confession. I, I use Java as part of Gmote, uh, Android app to control yeah, uh, stuff. I know what that is. Java yeah. has been trying to update for the last like oh I don't know four months, and every time it tries, it completely like errors out. It will not update for the life of it. So I'm not gonna tell you guys which version I'm stuck on. But if you figure it out, you might be able to hack into my sh- my stuff here. Dude, we, we've we've had meetings about updating jobs. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's how bad we don't trust it. I love you that. Know, it, it seriously goes through the the de- development life cycle. You have like a whiteboard that you're drawing up your Java updating game plan on. Point for point. <laughs> your Venn diagram. Itt the whole nine yards. That is so but, good. Know, before we even sniff implementation. That is so know. good. I love I think that. I got a show title. <laughs> it's so bad. And then, of course, in an interview with Charlie Rose back in August, Ellison said he believed the NSA's widespread surveillance was essential to preventing terrorism. So that's kind of an idea of where he stands on the whole thing. Probably maybe not a good idea to put anything important in an Oracle database. 
So, uh, let's see. I thought this was kind of cool. Found it in USA Today. Uh, in some hotels, select Starwood Hotels, they are replacing all of their room keys, and they're just going to use smartphones. So, if you want, smartphones. if you want, you can go to one of these Starwood Hotels and Resorts and unlock your room with your smartphone. Oh, okay. Which is awesome because this the next DEFCON, I can't wait for people to be like, and here's how you completely unlock all the rooms all of them. <laughs> with yeah. your smartphone. Uh, it's powered by Asa Abloy, a lock company in Sweden. The pilot program will begin within the next 60 days. That's Brian McGinnis, Senior Vice President of Starwood Specialty Select Brands. If it goes well, guests will see the new tech rollout at three different Starwood brands, uh, Aloft, Element, and W Hotels by 2015. Oh, and W's. Nice. Well, what's the tech behind it? it, it it's, I'm assuming it's not uh, NFC. It's, it says that uh, guests will first check in through their smartphones using the mobile app. So you'll have a Starwood's mobile app on your phone. You will then receive a text message with the room number and the virtual key so you can bypass the front desk completely if you'd like. Uh, the technology operates through Bluetooth on any iPhone 4S or above and Android 4.3 or newer. So all of you with not Android 4.3 might going to have to wait for this. Uh, he says it fundamentally changes the hotel business. I'm sure it's going to. Uh, other hotel... Yeah, what? Do you know of any threats on the Bluetooth protocol? <laughs> are you are, are you serious? No, I'm not. Okay. That's, that's, <laughs> why would why would they do? Can this? we make it run Java? Yeah. Just <laughs> how about Windows that, XP? That's why I said I assume it's not NFC, but right. I couldn't yeah. think of anything that would have been logical. You know. I don't know. Is there a way to wrap it to encrypt it somehow to where? I don't. I don't know. They say security is always first and foremost for us, so there's that. <laughs> and he says, if you still want to use a regular key card, of course they will still be available. So picture it now. You, mm -hmm. You're going into your hotel hallway. You have your trusty Android device up and ready, standing at the door. You look off to your right, and you see some random guy standing there with a suitcase. You never even think about the fact that he's just waiting to sniff. Just sniffing, right? Yeah, or yeah. skimmers, right? <laughs> you know. Yeah. And you're in trouble. Yeah. I like that they had, They probably would have ATMs on each floor, so I would just build a combination skimmer slash sniffer. So not only am I getting your credit card info, but I'm getting all of the room key info as well. Yeah, you know, we hypothetically. Field day. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> field day. That's, a career opportunity for you. Uh, that's so good. Well, good luck with that, uh, whatever hotel chain that was. Uh, let's see. What else you guys want to talk about? Uh, any? Like, I want to ask Larry about Cuba. Yeah, oh, let's. Okay. We got some time. Go tell us about right, that, Larry. Right, another topic. This is this week is the 30th anniversary of the Macintosh. Yeah, last week was. Wasn't it? Did you guys? We didn't talk about it. I don't went away. No, it was after our show. Yeah, I don't right. Know if it was this week or last week, but it, we haven't talked about it. That's kind of a big event. Too. Yeah, I watched. You know, it's funny you bring that up, Larry, because I watched the um, the shareholders meeting. Just a few hours ago on t on YouTube with um, all of the shareholders and John Scully and Steve Jobs doing his presentation. Oh, yeah, yeah it, it it was it was really neat to look back at that stuff, man, and and and, and see how big it was with with the having the mouse and how the operating system was functioning with all of the beautiful windows in comparison to the Lisa. And then they bundled it to where all of the Macintosh software could work with the Lisa before it. And the pricing at that time was, was it about $2,500. <laughs> a lot of money. Insane. $2,500 back then. Yeah. $5,000 a day. I'd like Ooh. to hear Mike and Larry's uh, stories of that. I'll just real quick. I'll tell you my. I remember being a kid and my dad brought home an Apple IIc, 
And uh, we got to play around with that quite a bit. Then I remember being in seventh grade and we got the Macintosh. We had a, the non-color one and then we got a color one. So we had the non-color one sitting there and the color one there. And kids would always line up to want to uh, play on the, on the colored one. And for some reason, and I didn't really know much about it, but we knew how to mess with it and be intuitive and figure it out. So the teacher always would come up to me after class and hand me software. And she'd be like, you need to figure this out and show me how to use it. So then I can do what I need to do on it. Cause they had no idea about computers and we were, they yeah. saw all of us kids playing on them. So they're like, Oh, we'll figure out who. And then, yeah. And then, and, and, and then that was that, but we had classrooms nice. full of like two E's with the green screens and Oregon trail and, and, and yep. all that Oregon trail for the win. Yep. Died of dysentery. That and dazzle draw. <laughs> I used to love playing with dazzle draw. I don't know. My story probably is, something like Larry's, by the time personal computers came along, I'd spent years working with um, running programs on mainframe computers and then on time-sharing services, particularly yeah. the the, uh, the uh, Digital uh, Equipment Corp Stack System 10. And so my initial reaction to personal computers was that they, they looked like kind of toys. Yeah, and that's what IBM said, right? Yeah, and IBM came around and changed that uh, that view. They they marketed their personal computer as a serious uh, business device, and that kind of caught my interest, and I got involved with it, and sort of never looked back. Nice. And by the time the Mac, I'm sorry to say this, but by the time the Macintosh came around, I'd already been sort of nonplussed by the arrogance of the Apple marketing machine and and oh. for that for that reason didn't really pay as much attention as I should have. When Folks, Mike... his hate runs deep. Yeah. <laughs> his yeah. hate runs back to you know to the freaking when, when Mike <laughs> when Mike just said that I totally pictured Shark Tank and he's like, and for that reason I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> Pitching Apple. I know, that was just so perfect. We we always watch me and me and K Dog love love that show. You said it perfectly. You went through it and you said, and for that reason I am I'm out of here. I Larry got a long what, memory, guys. <laughs> What's your story, you, Larry? Larry? All right. I can tell you I go back unfortunately, way before Mike. I uh really old machines and when you when you really have the yeah, every every program you had to write essentially the drivers for everything. But uh, the I thought uh, like Mike that the Apple and Atari and the Trash Eighty were kind of toy computers. The Apple too, um, but the CPM machines were for real. And yeah. um, I was doing C. I was actually making uh, some pretty good money as a building systems with CPM machines. Um, by the time the uh, IBM PC and then the Macintosh came out, but I, um, it's cool. The, the, I was writing a lot for uh, different publications, and and so I they gave me a Mac, the, the first Mac. So I wrote a, a I looked back at it this week about a an eight page review of the thing. Wow. Uh, so yeah, and so I have now uh, actually yesterday in gross violation of copyright. And scanned it, and I'll post my review. Um, I did a review of the first Mac, and then the the uh, second one that had a hard drive, and then uh, also did a thing in CACM of sort of looking at all of those things back in those days. So I've been really revisiting it, and the, I can tell you how the review of the Mac started out was that I took the thing down to my father, who uh, was I don't know, he was really old by then, but I don't know how old he was. But an older guy who's retired, let's put it that way. He wasn't mm -hmm. as old as I am now. And uh, I had tried to show him computers and stuff before that. And I set the Mac down, and he just started farting around with it. Um, and he kind of couldn't get him away from it. You know, he's just typing stuff, and whoa, you can type and doing fat bits drawings and stuff like that. So, so the iPad of the 80s. He, it was like, good. that's a good analogy. Um, and, you know, I'd, I'd seen the lease and I'd seen the stuff at Park and, and SRI and stuff. So it, it wasn't new technology, but 
you know, it was just cheap enough that people could actually buy it, even at 2500 bucks. But the, the other side of the coin is the review starts out sort of saying, hey, my dad really loved it. That's the good news. The bad news is I'm writing this inter this review on a real PC. <laughs> so you sound like that. Right. that kind of got me started typing because you had to in the Apple IIc you had to put in a floppy disk and then you would get to a prompt and you could you type a command and it'd show you what was on the disk and then you could type in. I remember vividly for Spy Hunter on this disk you had to type B space run space spy space hunter and you'd hit enter and it would run the game. And I remember my older brother taught me that because I could never figure out how to like actually get into the games unless someone was there. And I remember he wrote it down, B space, run space. <laughs> and like every time I get that paper out and then finally got ingrained into my brain and I could like kind of figure it out. You know, it's, it's cool. It sounds like you guys started in computers as things to play games with. It, it pretty much was. We got a basic a book. And there was it, there was it would teach you commands to to run into the machine. You you'd hit like control and something, and it would bring up a prompt. You type home, and you'd get a clear screen with a prompt. And you could start typing your program. And uh, this book like taught you how to like make graphics. So we'd always mess with the ones at school and like leave them with these weird graphics or like hearts on it. And the teacher would never figure out how the hell we were doing it. You and we had these kid. little books that just you know you just copy what you saw in the book, and eventually you. If you stuck with it, you figured out what you were actually doing. But for the most part, none of us ever figured that out. We were just, like, copying or playing games. Did, did you guys ever hear of People's Computer Company? It was sort of spun off of the whole Earth catalog, Bob Albrecht Steel. PPC? I've heard of the whole Earth catalog. Yeah, it was a bell, Larry. Rings the, a bell. Yeah, yeah. Bob, I spent a lot of time with Bob. He, he um, was, in my view... Uh, the first guy to really try to bring computing to, to like, kids and the, the masses. Uh, he worked for Control Data, and he, he started teaching high school kids programming. But by the time it was PCC, it was a lot of games, and uh, kind of he had the first really kind of walk-in, uh, not storefront, but walk-in office front computer center for, for kids or for anybody that wanted to walk in. Um, and if there was kind of the kind of thing that, that Matt's talking about, everybody's playing games. And, but also, he wrote a bunch. He had, he had, uh, he wanted to teach programming. So there's a lot of kid books on how to program in basic. I wonder um, if those were some of the books I used to have. I, I should ask my mom if she saved any of that old stuff. I remember, dude. like, our, our main use for it kind of became when Print Shop Deluxe, or I, I forget what the program was called, but basically it let you make cards so everybody's thing then was like get your kids to make christmas cards or to make all of these and pretty soon people started making them and printing them out and sending them and they're like you made this that is crazy how did you do that it was like the dumbest thing but at the time it was like wow you could like make this say anything you want that's kind of cool yeah and then print it out on your dot matrix apple image writer too Oh, man, I remember that stuff. That's crazy. Larry, my question for you is, is uh, did you return that Macintosh to Apple, or did you uh, yeah, actually, did it have a history with you? They made me give it back. But then they, they gave me a Mac, too. I had, in those, in those days, like I was writing for, uh, I was the first uh, review editor of PC Magazine. And then wow. after that, I was I wrote for Communications, the ACM, and I wrote for a Springer for a thing called Abacus. So in those days, uh, yeah, I could just call up and they just loan me a computer. Why isn't that on your lower third? I don't know. <laughs> First <laughs> editor of PC. Room for it, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start introducing Church you as celebrity. that on the show. That's right. There you go. And uh, the first PC editor, Meg Larry Press. A long time ago, but uh, but yeah, uh, it's fun to it's fun to go back and, and think about those old days. Like the computer I did my dissertation research on weighed 250 tons. That's so mm, awesome. Yeah. yeah. Mm, good grief. The, yeah, uh, the 360? No, oh, no, no, you're old. 232. IBM made only one of them for Sage, and, and then Sage didn't take delivery, so they gave it to the System Development Corporation out in here, and uh, they hired me. I managed to get a gig there uh, doing my dissertation. But it was a it was one of the first 
you're talking about time sharing, it was it and uh, you know Project Mac were the first two real quote quasi production time sharing systems in the world. I like that the first computer you did your dissertation on weighed like in the tons, in the hundreds of tons. The computer we're using to record this show with weighs like, you know, 20 pounds. 20 pounds. <laughs> 20 oh, yeah. Pounds. The, the Q32 had 768K bytes of memory. That's huge. That's yeah. pretty much what this one has. No. <laughs> it's getting pretty old. It's time to, to donate to the uh, replace the all of our equipment. It's a funny number because they were six bit. Uh, Bytes. Nobody called them bytes in those days. No. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, those were the good old days. In those days, you didn't just write programs, but you did everything in assembly language, and you had to worry about, you know, select the head. Uh, you know, you were really worrying about rotational delay on, on uh, disk drives and how long, how many milliseconds, microseconds it took to select the head and how long it took to position the arm. So, man, how you optimized programs? That was my. I say a lot of programs. That was the issue with my first computer, the uh, the Bendex uh, G15, oh, absolutely. Yeah. which had yeah. its main memory on a rotating drum, yeah. and and so you and one read head, so you had to really bide your time and figure out where you wanted to write each instruction on the drum so that it was up next at the right moment. Yeah, I remember hearing some stories from my former CIO talking about writing programs in, you know, like uh, 64K or something like that of RAM. Just, oh, shit, that was huge. Nobody you know, It's like, come on, how in the heck are you doing that? You know, but he says there are people that did less than that before him, and it just, it blows my mind. You know? I wrote plenty of programs for machines with 4K 6-bit bytes. Or they call them, you know, characters. Yes, you look at a you look at a machine was was thirty two K thirty six bit words. See kids with these higher level languages, they have no idea what programming's really about. No, this this is true. This the is kind true. of thing Mike's talking about, like you'd worry where are you gonna put the word you know, the program, you'd space it out on the drum or something. And there were huge debates when Fortran got started, whether it could ever catch on because it was just so inefficient. You know, Could do it all in assembly you know, like Steve Gibson. Just keep it clean, keep it plain, keep it keep it in assembly. <laughs> that was a big debate issue for a couple of years. That's crazy. All right. Well, I think that's it. Did you did you have any any other fond memories of of the Apple or anything? I, are are we are we good? Well, just I, even though it was a kind of unusable and I wouldn't use it to do anything, it was. <laughs> Um, it was clearly something really cool. I mean, it had been proven at, at Park, really, and a couple of other workstation places. The thing that's that's kind of interesting that I've heard Steve Jobs quoted on this, and I, I'm going to have to Google it up. He, he, he said that he really remarked that uh, they, they pissed away a 10-year lead and let Microsoft catch up. By the time 3.1 or 95 came out, they'd lost their edge, you know, yeah. which is really a shame. Mike in the chat says Commodore 64 has 64K RAM, which is plenty for games. I remember like Lemonade Stand. Games is plenty. More than no, that. By then, by those days, 64 was you could get. But in the days Mike and I are talking about, nobody That's right. Those were before yeah. those good old days. Those were the even older good old days. Yeah. Anyway, I'm going to post those uh, those reviews and... And the CACM one is already online because ACM lets me post it. So I want to see the Macintosh review. Where was it first published? It was the first one that I referred to was published in a magazine which came and went called Abacus, which was published by Springer Berlin. Okay. And I will, uh, I scanned it yesterday. I'll, I'll post it tomorrow or something. Good deal. Good deal. Yeah. That's awesome. Right. We'll make sure to link to it in the show notes at yetanothertechshow.com. So that's going to do it for us. Thanks for listening, guys, as always, every week right here Wednesday evenings. Yeah, anothertexture.com slash live. That's where the chat room is. That's where the video embed is, and you can watch the reruns there throughout the week. Uh, and we also put them in the show notes. So if you want to watch the video or you can just listen to the audio, either way, just just listen. Just check it out. 
there's a Google Plus community, Facebook page, Twitter account, all that stuff we keep up with. So follow us at your leisure, whatever way you want. Uh, subscribe in iTunes, write us a review if you have a sec. That always helps with uh, other people finding the show. Uh, check out Attack of the Androids on Tuesdays and Point and Shoot on Thursdays. And you have a site for Point and Shoot now. Always forget that because you haven't ever like had one, but you have one now. What is it? Yes. Smartphone-photographers.com. Fantastic. Yeah. So We're updated fairly regularly. Good deal. Check out Larry Press, Mike Rothman's stuff on a new domain.net, tech page one, and groovypost.com. And uh, we'll catch you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Have a good night. Tech Show. Check us out online at yetanothertechshow.com.